Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. You are now listening to NGSE Sports Radio Draft Central Draft Talks here at NGSE Sports. I'm your host, Jamie Council, and joining me are our two senior draft analysts, Josh Zimmer and Montel Hardy. How are you guys doing tonight? You guys there? Doing good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. Nice to hear from you. How are you doing tonight, Montel? Did we lose Montel? Oh, I guess. I guess I'm here. Here. I'm here. Okay, okay. I was kind of unsure. Wake up, Montel. Wake up. We're talking draft stuff tonight. We're not sleeping. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's been a. It's been a. It's been a day. Oh, yeah. No, I, I understand. We might be talking about sleepers, but we're not talking about sleeping. But, no, I, I understand. It's been quite a day for me. Here, do you think your day was bad? So I started my first day at the new job. We had a live at a basketball game, and our producer was there to give the signal. And so the producer wasn't really capable of her job, and so our reporter stood there for a minute because the producer let her stand there for a minute because no one gave him the signal. So your 15 seconds isn't bad compared to that. All right. So uh, for the first uh, half of this show, we're going to be talking about you know, there's a small thing of the combine. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it is over. So now that everything is done with the combine, I know that there's still a pro day, but now you're kind of starting to get a taste of uh, the bigger guys. So I want you guys, uh, we're going to go over what three guys um, in your mind, Josh, will start with you, uh, raise their draft stock in the combine. Oh, well, Mattel knows who exactly I'm going to turn to. Uh, the first one for me is obviously Vic Beasley. Uh, the guy weighed in at 246 pounds, which is 10 pounds heavier than what anybody projected him to be at because he played around 230, 235. Looks smooth in his field drills, but what impressed me is the 34 reps at 225, 41-inch vertical, and the 4.5340, which was the fastest 40 out of the defensive lineman. My second guy... Uh, was Kevin White. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, how how can he improve his stock anymore? He's been battling for the number one, or he is the number one on a lot of other scouts' sports. 
with Kevin White, when you watch his tape, you don't necessarily see 4-3 speed. And he showed at the combine that he has 4-3 speed. Um, the other thing that I liked about him was his gauntlet. Uh, when you watched him in the gauntlet, he was smooth. He was fluid. Uh, he caught with his hands. Um, he was a guy that, you know, I loved watching uh, the entire time. When you watch him, he's just completely smooth. Uh, there's no giddy-up to him. Uh, there's no hitch and uh, him struggling with anything like that. Uh, so he, those were the two guys. My third one was kind of a sleeper, but it was Kyle Emanuel from North Dakota State, uh, somebody that we're obviously going to be talking about later. I know Montel's really high on this kid uh, from the beginning. I was a little bit in doubt, not necessarily because of his style of play, but I didn't know where he was going to transition to in the NFL. Uh, this dude is the epitome of a workout warrior. He had 27 reps at 225, had a 4.7740, which could improve at his pro day on the 23rd in Fargo. Uh, had a 37-and-a-half-inch vertical. His three-cone drill uh, time was solid. I think it was seven point or uh, 7.1. And then, of course, his on-field drills. Uh, again, you look for fluid and, and smooth feet, uh, no stops or transitions when firing off the back foot. But the thing that really sold me on Emmanuel is the fact that when he did the conversion drills, he looked like a guy who is comfortable playing in space. But if you throw on North Dakota State's tape, you ain't going to find number 53 in space. Why? Because he was their best pass rusher and arguably their best defensive player. I mean, the dude won the Buchanan Award for a reason. Uh, so I was I was pleased to see how comfortable he was moving around in space. Okay, so kind of one of the smaller school guys. And then kind of touching back on uh, Beasley, obviously we know this guy can play, but do you feel like even after his combine that there's still questions about his ability to transfer his game into the NFL just because of the physical aspects? No. In my opinion, no. No questions at all. The only questions that I had about Vic Beasley was his size. Uh, matter of fact, you can go back and look at my scouting report that I completed in early January. The biggest thing that I had on him was his size. Nobody truly knowed what this kid played at because we know how sports information departments work. They're going to beef you up a little bit more than what you should. Uh, they had him listed at 235. Realistically, he looked like he was playing around 225. But in terms of his traits and his intangibles, uh, his get off, and, and you know anything that has to relate to football, uh, there's a no question. It's a no-brainer. In my opinion, I've always had him as my you know one of the top, if not the top, pass rusher in this class top edge guy in this class, and after his performance at the Combine, he virtually cemented that for me. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a guy that I'm, uh, personally, I know his size uh, might be an issue, but he's kind of proven everybody wrong so far, so that's definitely a guy that I'm curious to see how his game will transition to the NFL. And uh, Montel, what are your uh, top three guys that Maybe their draft stocks uh, raised a bit uh, in the combine. Montel, wake up! All right, I don't know what's going on with him. I guess he must be sleeping right now. So uh, I'm, I'm here, guys. I'm sorry about that. It looks like I kind of get bad reception. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but um, can you repeat that, the last part of your question again? I didn't quite hear you. It was, why are you sleeping? No, I'm uh, well, okay. I was about to say, no, well, I'm, I'm awake now, guys. I don't, don't, don't want to know. The only thing I want to know, 
are three guys that you think rose their draft stock in the combine? Sure, sure. Um, well, three guys, you know, if I bring it up, I, you know, Josh, you know, he touched on a few things, and I, and I agree. Beasley did show up and show out. Same thing with, uh, you know, uh, Kevin White. I think his vertical wasn't all that great to begin with, but um, he tested like a speed receiver, which is, you know, efficient and, and good enough to be uh, taken probably pretty high in the draft. But uh, in terms of three guys that I like, uh, absolutely you got to look at Bud Dupree first. I think there's a guy who tested freakishly well for an edge rusher. Uh, the Lower body strength is just absolutely there. So uh, broad jump was nearly Olympic. I mean, we're talking in the 13-foot range. Uh, vertical, phenomenal. He's in the 40 range. So um, power and explosiveness from the lower body usually translates to success on the football field. Uh, on average, somewhere between 60 and 70 uh, defensive ends slash linebackers uh, who wound up playing in the league in, in the neighborhood of five years test pretty good in those categories, uh, not to mention his 40 time was great as well. So uh, agility, uh, straight line speed, some of those things is there. It's just going to be about what team can take him and harness those skills, uh, you know, to make him into that special player. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one guy. Uh, moving on, I loved what I saw out of Chris Conley. Now, this is a guy who, if you put on his tape from this year, uh, not too hot. Um, last year, you put on his tape, uh, 2013 tape, and it's great. Uh, big difference there, Aaron Murray and then not Aaron Murray. <laughs> so this is what happens when you get a quarterback who isn't so good, a team that goes from being pretty even past the run to mostly run because you've got Gurley, you've got Chubb, you've got, uh, you know, just a very deep backfield. And then you have a, a team that uh, this year, or that last year, you know, aired it out more. They had a senior quarterback who could really play, and uh, Conley got, you know, uh, you know the, the longer end of the stick here. So 42-inch uh, vertical, which was great, uh, ran very good in his 40, had his agility times as well. Uh, no one saw this guy coming. Like, there's a lot of guys you can predict, uh, and there are articles that came out. No one saw this guy really showing up and just being great, and he, he really was. He was all of that. So uh, shout out to Chris Conley. He had a fantastic combine process, and he's moving up several draft boards. Uh, was a day three prospect. I'm sure he's likely a day two on many draft boards. Uh, as he moved to, to the, uh, the third prospect, guy who impressed me the most, this is hard because there's a lot of guys who, who showed up and, and did well. But, uh, you know, I, I got to go – sighing right now. I, I got to go with – I got to go to quarterback here. Um, Cody Fajaro out of Nevada. Now, this is a guy who a lot of people didn't see coming. I mean, first off, when you look at your quarterback drills, it really is just Jameis and everyone else. I mean, we saw some good – yeah, we we saw some good out of Huntley. We saw some good out of Mar or Mariota here and there, especially Huntley. Like he imp he impressed with his ability to drive the ball down the field. Didn't do a lot of that his senior or his junior year at UCLA. But uh, Fajardo showed up. First off, uh, he had the body type. You know, he looked a part of an NFL player. So. Uh, bigger and stronger than what I thought from his tape, and he was also uh, he's also confident and, and through a good timing and, and accuracy. You got to remember these receivers at the combine they've they've never really worked that. So uh, he came in through very well and, and surprised a lot of people. So that was that was a special thing to me is to see this guy come in with the confidence to to show he belongs with this. Uh, this, uh, you know, just okay class of quarterbacks, uh, you know, he wants his name mentioned too. Well, I'll go ahead and mention this guy. You know, take Vajardo, take uh, third round, fourth round, and I think you've got yourself a pretty decent quarterback, uh, at least someone who you can develop uh, maybe down the line or um, have him compete for a starting job. Yeah, it's kind of one interesting thing. Like you made a great point that all you hear about is Jameis and Mariota on quarterbacks, but there's there's a couple, you know, it's, including uh, 
including Hungley in them. And so that's kind of one interesting thing to me is moving into the next two to three years, whether or not Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota will be the talk of the town, you know. So that's going to be kind of one of one of the funny things that uh, makes it so interesting, you know. Is it going to be a Ryan Leaf situation or is it going to be uh, – you know, uh, coming back from behind. There's plenty of uh, good stories out there. I'm sure Josh can name more than a few. But, um, but yeah, but then going into your number two guy, Chris Conley, um, you said that he didn't, that he didn't have the best, uh, the best season with, uh, with not such a great quarterback. Do you feel like he needs that? In order to back up his game, do you think that might hurt his draft stock? Though individually, he might be a workout warrior based on his numbers. As far as on the field, his football smarts, his ability to get the job done, do you feel that that might hurt him at all? Uh, not really. I mean, that's a great question, but the truth is his quarterback is just very bad this year. Uh, now, Aaron Murray was great. But you look at his skill set, you look at some of the things he accomplished, if you have a, you know, because I saw some of his tape, and there are times where he's running downfield open. Uh, Hudson Mason, that's the quarterback from this year, he'll check it down. Uh, he'll miss him badly. Uh, you have a capable quarterback, and he'll love a guy like a Chris Conley. I think you have Hudson Mason, you know, they were trying to be nice to the guy who sat behind Aaron Murray for three years. They said, hey, he earned a chance to play. They let him play. You know, he just wasn't very good. Uh, that's really the long and the short of it. Uh, he Conley's the type of guy you want to stretch the field with. Uh, he's going to be open, but he's going to be open for 15, 15 to 20 yards or more. And you've got to have a quarterback that can make those throws. Uh, Mason was unconfident. He was inaccurate at times. Uh, he did hit him well on occasion, but if you've got a quarterback that can air it out, uh, you'll, you'll be fine. He doesn't have to be Aaron Rodgers. He doesn't have to be, you know, like Manning or Brady. Uh, he just has to have the strength to get it there uh, consistently. Okay, so it was more of a the quarterback was that bad. So, so that was just a question I had. Then moving on, we'll start with you, Montel. Um, what were three guys in your eyes whose draft stock really plummeted based on the combine? <laughs> yeah, I you know I talked to Josh you know as soon as this was over, and I told him I was like, man, Lyndon Trail is. He's losing some points out here today. You know, a lot of people were enamored with the size. You know, he came in. I think he, he measured maybe 6'6", six, six, possibly 6'7", and about 270 at the combine. And that was a bigger number than I expected from him. And so you've got the small school guy, freakish size, used to play at Florida. You know, you start to think he he's a hidden gem. He's a guy who might be a dynamic, uh, you know, edge rusher to help set this class off. But, you know, truth be told, you know, he didn't run, didn't appear to be very agile, uh, and, and, you know, and I did look back to the tape and some of his drills. And in terms of, uh, you know, muscle definition and, and the way you want to look, you want to look like a polished uh, athlete. You want to look like a guy who, you know, isn't just hopping up off his couch because it's, you know, time to go to the combine. You know, you want to look like a guy who's <laughs> been training for this moment. And so uh, you look at Linden Trail, and, you know, he was a little unimpressive. Uh, Josh 
pointed out to me, and that's why I had to go back and look at the tape. So you look at guys like Randy Gregory, you say what you want about his weight, but he came in looking good, and so did a lot of these guys. Uh, Dante Fowler, too, looking phenomenal. So uh, you look at the rest of you know the, his competition, and then you look at him, and, and you're pulling for the small school guy, but he didn't run very well at all. He tested he tested really like a defensive tackle. And I think that was the, the most disappointing part is because, you know, you got the six seven two ninety defensive tackle, you know, like what are you, you going to do with him? So, uh, you know, I talked to another scout about him, and truth be told, he's a guy without a position at this point. Uh, like I said before, you can yeah, maybe use him on day three as a developmental 4-3 defensive end, maybe a five-tech. But to me, uh, he lost some points uh, because, uh, you know, he just, just didn't look all that great. Uh, another guy that lost points, uh, in my opinion, Duke Johnson. Uh, this is a running back who I had highly touted. You know, I had done a scouting report on this guy and looked a lot of his tape. I thought his 40 tag would be phenomenal. Like, I thought this guy would, uh, you know, show you some shades of 4-2, four, 4-4-3, four, 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 you know, not 4-3, because, you know, not too many running backs get there, you know, who weigh a, a decent weight. But, uh, you know, his acceleration, his burst, uh, in my opinion, he's supposed to have the long, uh, the best long speed in his class, but he certainly did not on, on combine day. And, and that was what disappointed me, too, because now you've got a guy that's 5'8", a little over 200 pounds. And, you know, he's got some strength. You know, he's got a little, you know, uh, punch to his game. He's got a solid stiff arm. He uses great space. But, you know, he's not as dynamic as you hope once again. So uh, if you're not a dynamic player, your stock is just going to drop. You know, that's just the age we live in. And in a very deep running back class, we have guys that have some power like Duke Johnson does, and, and that can run about as good as he does. And, oh, hey, by the way, they're a few inches taller, so there's a chance that they'll be more durable. So uh, Duke Johnson definitely lost some points, in my opinion, solely because when you're that height and that size, you're supposed to outrun your competition. And you're also supposed to be quicker. Uh, didn't look to be much of any, but – I can kind of see the converse of it. You know, he was about 190 pounds last year, so you put on all that muscle, you know, so people wouldn't worry about his injuries. It's that the injuries still kind of – minor injuries kind of happen. So, you know, there's that. Uh, finally, when you look at your third guy that might have, uh, you know, lost some uh, stock, in, in my opinion, uh, Brian Bennett. You know, everyone talks about this guy, you know, oh, you know, he competed with Mariota, lost a job to Mariota. Yeah, you know, we learned on combine day there's a reason why he lost a job to Marcus Mariota. Uh, given that arm strength is a concern for Mariota and he needs to improve, Brian Bennett aspires to have as good an arm strength as Brent Mariota does right now. Uh, he floated some at the combine, didn't quite look as sharp, had a chance to really, really, because, you know, everybody was talking this guy up, had a chance to really, really hit it out the park. He said he was just just average, you know, like uh, it wasn't bad. Um, if we're talking about combine throws, I mean, there was, there was plenty of people that were bad, you know. It was Shane Carden for a while had me scared, you know, but – but moving back to uh, Brian Bennett, you know, Bennett was just not very good. Uh, you're supposed to seize the moment at the combine, and that's what I'm going to penalize him on is he looked just okay, you know, and, and I don't know what it's going to take for him to realize that he can, you know, he can grab this class, you know, right by the, the arms and kind of just throw these guys aside and say, hey, take me in a second, take me in a third if you don't know what to do. But I uh, didn't seize the moment. So uh, Brian Bennett's, Bennett's my number three uh, disappointing prospect. Okay, so Lyndon Trail basically looked like he got off the couch and uh, off of a chip bag and said, okay, I better go, go to this combine. Didn't really look like he was a polished player is kind of what I took away from what you said. Maybe not the whole chip bag thing, because I'm sure he was working out, but not putting in the time or the effort that, uh, that he should have. That's kind of what, what I garnered. But Monster of a Man... And then Bennett, kind of going into him, just because people were talking him up, you know, saying that he's just as good or better, and it's just uh, basically um, 
basically dissing on Mariota, I would say, just a little bit, just to kind of talk up Bennett. How much of that do you think is nerves, or do you think it doesn't matter whether it's nerves, that um, that that's just kind of the opportunity he had and squandered? Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a thing. A lot of people call it different things, you know, stage fright, butterflies. Other people call it the yips. You know, he, he might have been a little nervous. That's very possible, I think. Anytime you're on a big stage like that, uh, you look at the school he played for, southeastern Louisiana, he's probably seen, you know, uh, crowds of maybe 30,000, 40,000. Mayo played in front of crowds of in a neighborhood of 80. It's, it's, you know, televised games aren't maybe locally, maybe a local thing for southeastern, not necessarily a lot of national broadcast. So, yeah, I, I can understand if he was a little nervous, and that could be a part of it too because he's got, you know, some of the things you like and, and some of the things you want to see out of him you expected to see at the Combine. So uh, you're right. Part of that could be nervousness. Uh, if he's like everyone else, he'll be throwing at his pro day, and, and let's see where we go from there. Yeah. Yeah, so basically Bennett's going to have to prove on his pro day if he's really if he's really uh, up to the talk and the praise everybody gives him, correct? Oh, yeah, and uh, once again, this is not, you know, first-round uh, potential. This is a guy later day two, early day three. But uh, if you don't if you don't show up at your pro day, if you don't generate some buzz, you're, you're, you're diving right into day three, like just, just nose-diving right into that fifth, sixth round. If someone just needs a guy, then he can just be a guy, you know. But if you want to be someone that someone says, hey, we can develop into a starter, it's very important for him to nail his pro day. Yeah, yeah, because it's important for coaches to see the potential in someone rather than, you know what, if this guy gets hurt, they'll get the job done. Because you hear plenty of quarterbacks um, that sits behind, you know, the Peyton Mannings, the uh, the Tom Brady's, and they retire as behind Tom Brady, as behind whatever, get barely any snaps in their time. So, no, it's important for coaches to see that potential in you. But – Moving on, Josh, I hope you're not asleep. What are your top three fallers? Well, i got to reiterate with Montel. Uh, if we could give out to an award for this offseason for the biggest hype buster, it goes to Linden Trail. Uh, you want to talk about an MC? This dude was an MC heading into the uh, start of the draft, uh, the draft season, so to speak. Everybody was raving about this kid. Everybody was so excited to see him down at the Senior Bowl, finally back up against top-notch competition since he had to transfer out of Florida, and he completely pooped himself. It was horrible. Uh, At the Senior Bowl, you never really got a good feel on him because he didn't get a chance to play at one true position. I mean, one day he played a linebacker. The next day he was a D lineman. The next day he was a tight end. After that, he only has one more day, and then they have to go and play an actual game. Uh, and then heading into the combine, uh, this is a dude who, if anybody's stock was uh, basically uh, more adverse for this, it was Linden Trails. Uh, he needed to have a great pro day. He needed to sh- or a uh, combine, excuse me. He needed to shine, and he didn't. He looked horrible. He looked out of shape. His field drills were absolutely atrocious. Uh, this is a guy who played linebacker. Uh, he, he wasn't a hand-in-the-ground defensive end. They actually did play him as a linebacker at Norfolk State. I would fire that defensive uh, coordinator and that linebacker's coach right now for making that decision because from what I saw, without pads, with how tight and stiff his hips were, turning him and, and running at a 45 and, and actually playing in space, 
I'm surprised teams didn't throw for 400 yards against them uh, just based off of running short little crossing routes because it was that bad. Um, he was absolutely horrible. So I wanted to make sure I reiterated on that because Montel knows exactly how disappointed I was in him. Uh, I, I felt a little bit of myself die because Montel got me on the hype train and then the hype train crashed. Um, to go to my next no, my My apologies, Josh. <laughs> hey, it, it's all part of the process. Um, but going to my first guy, the one that I was really disappointed with was, uh, who was it? There were so many that actually really disappointed me. Uh, the one I will say, other than Linden Trail, uh, another FCS kid, was John Crockett. Uh, this is a guy who shows way more athleticism, way more ability to make open field cuts, have faster feet, and actually has better speed than what he displayed at the combine. Uh, at the combine, it looked like he wasn't truly ready. Uh, he ran a 4.640, which was just as fast as Zach Zinner. Uh, I mean, he's supposed to be the more athletic running back, but yet he got beat out not only in stats by Zach Zinner, but in the 40 time, because Zach Zinner ran three-tenths of a fast, uh, three-tenths of a 40 faster than him. Uh, his on-field drills were average at best. Uh, he was another guy who disappointed me. Shaq Thompson, uh, you have to throw his name in there. I mean, this is a guy, you know, I talked about on the last show. He was hyping everybody up, saying he was going to run a 4-4. He runs a 4-6. Uh, come on, bro. Uh, you're a guy who people are tra- uh, expecting to play safety. You run a 4-6, but you're also supposed to be one of the more athletic kids, if not the most athletically gifted kid in this class, and you ran a 4-6. Uh, come on. Uh, his on-field drills were shaky. Uh, it looked like he was stiff at times. It looked like he was anticipating at times. Uh, he was kind of a faller for me. And then the other one was Carl Davis, uh, the defense tackle out of Iowa. And this one really burns me. Uh, this one hurts because everybody knows, uh, other than me rooting for my Montana teams, I bleed black and gold. I'm a Hawkeye fan till the day I die. Uh, that's the way I was raised. I loved watching Carl Davis's tape. I thought he was actually a little bit better than what people expected him to be as a senior. Uh, despite seeing so many double teams as a shade. But he was his, his field drills really killed him. And the fact that he came in and just did not look the part, especially when you have to look at, you know, you, you take a guy like Carl Davis and Lyndon Trail. These are guys who shouldn't look like they're out of shape because it was only a week and a half ago that they were at the Senior Bowl competing for an entire week. But they just didn't look the part. I don't know if that's just naturally how they look, but I can tell you one thing. They they looked out of shape and they hurt themselves and now those are two guys who are really having to have their pro day salvage any hope that they have to be a mid to late round draft pick. Yeah, yeah, kind of going. It's kind of a kind of on an off note though. Just to I kind of want your guys' opinion. Montel, you still with me? Okay, okay, so I'm talking to you oh, here, Josh. Of course, again. of course, I, I'm okay, here, okay, I'm okay. here. <laughs> okay, I, I just wanted to check, I just wanted to check. I'm talking about your guys' opinions on an issue, because we got your guys' top three risers, you know, with Beasley, White, and Emmanuel, and McCaffrey, Comley, and uh, I can't even read my own handwriting. Is it, uh, who, was, uh, who was the quarterback you mentioned last Montel? Uh, Fajardo, Cody Fajardo, F-A-J-A-R-D-O, I got you. <laughs> yeah, my handwriting is terrible, and my memory is even worse. So, uh, 
I remember the conversation we had, and then your guys' top three fallers in Linden Trail, you know, got off the couch. Duke Johnson, Bennett, and we got John, uh, did I get his name right? Crockett? Yep, John, yep, John Crockett. John Crockett. Yep. I have terrible handwriting. And we got Shaq Thompson and Kyle Davis, all fallers. So that's kind of a recap of your guys' risers and fallers. But what I want to know is your guys' opinion on the draft stock, on the combine, guys like Lyndon Trail, just because he was so talked up, and also Shaq Thompson. That was one guy I was kind of hyped on, to be honest. Um, I guess he was my Lyndon Trail, where I was all hyped up on him, uh, ready to see what he could do just because I've heard of this guy's freakish athletic ability. Um, but bringing into their draft stock into uh, the draft uh, and the combine, do you feel like, uh, what do you feel as far as the combine and how much how much emphasis it holds going into the draft? We'll start uh, with you, Montel. Well, uh, you know, in this process, as you evaluate guys, um, you got to realize that, you know, the people who do this and have this, you know, as their job, their job is basically to make the most unimpeachable selection, right? So, uh, that, and that's why, you know, people use metrics because it's just more evidence as to why we should take this guy, why we shouldn't. So that way if a guy, you know, is a bust and you can say, look, his tape says this, his metrics are elite for his size, and we took him. So if you want to fire me, fire me, but odds and science say he's a good prospect. So that, that, that's so part of the, the of them covering of the, So it's a way of them covering their ass, so to say. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you got to, you know, like I said before, if you're a GM and you like your job, you, you better have a reason for, for making the decisions you do, and the more the better. Uh, so so in this process, uh, film trumps all to me, but I think you do look at the combine, you do look at your metrics. Now, you got to put it in perspective, though. Uh, the most, uh, like even when I talked about my followers, these are people who tell, tested uh, below average to well below average. So if you're a guy whose tape is uh, phenomenal or great or even pretty good and you go in and you test just average, I'm okay with that because that means, you know, you check the box, so you're quick enough, you're fast enough, you can do some of the things you need you to do, and if you go in the first, you go, you know, that's fine. It's when you're below average, you know. It's when you have, you know, certain guys, you know, for instance, uh, Kevin White, you know, 6'3", I thought he was a leaper, go get a guy, you know, he's 33-inch vertical, average is 36 Point five, you know, Chris Conley was forty two, and he's just about the same height. So, you know, just little things like that. We're like, eh, you know, I guess he's more speed than you know, leaper and power. And then some people, you know, don't test very well across the board. And and uh, you know, like a, a guard, uh, Jose Matias had one of the worst uh, combines I think I've ever seen by a by a guard. So, um, you know, that's something to think about. You got guys like Bernard McKinney who, uh, you know, didn't quite do well, but did okay, you know, but the perception was that he's supposed to kill the combine. So these things uh, matter, but the key here is just don't be below average. You know, Dante Fowler, everyone's like, he killed the combine, he killed the combine, and the Metris guys will say, yeah, yeah, he better. And a lot of the Metris guys say, no, he didn't, but the key here is, I don't care. He was about average. He tested about average. Now, the concerning thing might be he tested a little closer to a defensive end than a linebacker, but that's okay. The key is, you know, be about average, and your combine isn't an issue. You be bad, and that's when it should be talked about. Okay. Okay, but, Josh, what about you? What do you feel about this whole 
on combine raising or lowering the draft stock. Montel says it's just a way for coaches to cover their ass. And then, of course, you know, if you have good tape, it's understandable that it is a fair way to judge these players. But what is your take on it? Well, Montel, Montel hit a point there with, uh, with the tape. Um, that's the big thing. For me, to be honest, I'm not a huge metrics, uh, metrics guy. I've never really been a metrics guy. In my opinion, metrics has no business in football. Uh, that's the reason why sabermetrics were created is because of baseball. Matter of fact, football metrics came from sabermetrics in baseball. It's a completely different sport. Um, it, you can, it's a lot easier to measure a fastball than it is to figure out how many seconds a guy is going to take until he gets his ass handed to him. Uh, you know, you have to go off a of tape. <laughs> and for the F, and for the FBS guys. You know, and Montel knows this because we've actually spoke about this before. For me, for the FBS guys, I'm not too concerned about their workout at all. Uh, like a Shaq Thompson, for example. Yeah, his, his workout might raise some questions, but when you watch his tape, he transitions well. Uh, another thing, a guy like Zach Wagaman, everybody says he had an average uh, pro day. For me, I walked away expected. When I when I left Lucas Oil Stadium, I, I was happy because I was expecting that because I knew he wasn't going to be a workout warrior. I knew that everything he was going to do was going to translate from his tape in one way or another. The only thing about Zach that didn't translate were his bench reps. His bench reps were only at 14, but after talking to coaches and scouts and former teammates, that's expected. But when you watch his tape, he plays with way more power than what 14 reps ex- uh, exposes you to. Um, but that's the big key. You know, with the FBS guys, you don't really have to necessarily worry about it. Yeah, they're going to be the ones that are going to be more scrutinized about it because they're the ones that are currently always under the microscope. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. How many FCS guys are they talking about right now? Zero. None, if any. David Johnson? Maybe. But even he's not held under a microscope like – uh, a Duke Johnson or a Amir Abdullah or a David Cobb or Melvin Gordon. Uh, so they have a little bit of leeway. But with the FCS prospects, they have to virtually kill it in every aspect that they're given. They have to kill it in their test, or they at least have to imp- have a, a place where they can improve in their test to head into their pro day. They have to kill it in their on-field drills, and then their tape has to match. They have to have extremely impressive tape because that's the one question mark and I had a chance to ask some scouts about this when I was down there. The big question with them that I asked was, how do you guys take FCS guys compared to FBS guys? And the scout for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers told me, plain and simple, you have to look at level of competition. Did these guys have a chance to be matched up against FBS players at all throughout their career? And for a majority of them, they did. But it, it's, you know, to, to kind of round this out, People get too caught up in the in the in the uh, in the combine. Uh, you have to understand the combine is a joke. It's plain and simple. It's pointless. The only thing. No, 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 no. And this and here is why. Melvin Gordon ran a four five. Does he look like he runs a four five on his tape? No, because if you see. I'm sure that some of those safeties run a 4-5 or a 4-4, and he was outrunning them. Another prime example, Kevin White. He didn't show he ran a 4-3 on tape, 
but he, he still runs away from everybody. And there's also times where he, he gets caught from behind. What aspect gets taken away? Montel, you know this better than anybody. Okay, okay, wait, wait, wait. I just want to pause you right here. What aspect? One aspect that I can think of is what about the mental that these guys, whether or not, you know, you're going to cry because you ran a 4-6 instead of a 4-4, the fact that what these guys go through, what these guys go through on just based on the teams judging them, and that's, that's the biggest kind of thing. That's it's, kind of something that the coaches are looking at too. Are the intangibles that come away from these? So while everybody's looking at the metrics, the scouts, and everything, there are seeing how these guys react, how these guys handle, how these guys are being pushed, and you know, talking to the different questions that they were asked, and oh yeah, uh, and all that stuff. That that that's kind of one part that I think is uh, that people put emphasis on. Well, and you, you have to. And you, you have to, and the reason you have to is because you have to make sure that you're drafting a player who, number one, doesn't have any red flags in terms of off-the-field character concerns, and number two, is a coachable player. Now, Marcus Peters is a guy who came in with an off-the-field red flag because of the fact that he got booted from his last program. He's openly admitted that he was wrong, and that from all uh, reports that I've heard and scouts that I've talked to that had a chance to sit in the meeting room with the teams when he was there, it went extremely well. He was upfront and about it, and that's everything. To go back to why I say the combine is a joke, the only thing that translates to football are the on-field drills. Because I mean, let's be honest, you can't truly measure a player on their speed. You can't measure them on a forty. You can't measure them on their bench press, and you can't measure them on a vertical or anything like that. Yeah, you can measure some sort of explosion. But those are for all the metrics junkies out there. That's why they have metrics in football now. It's because the combine has made it relevant. But in terms of football, in terms of actual scouting, and like I said, how stuff translates from tape to a workout, the only thing that you can truly take away is the on-field workout because that's when you put them in a football-type environment, making them doing football-type drills to where you're going to see – yeah, yeah, his hips were stiff on tape, and yeah, they're stiff here. And yeah, and, and that, that translates too, to other that, that translates yeah, to other no, drills I, too, I, though, Josh. I, and and, and that's, you want to mention that. Yeah. And I feel like I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, but to distract you guys even further, that's something I was curious about. We have a guest wanting to know uh, comments on two different things. Brandon Bridge, do you, any of you guys have anything to say about Brandon Bridge? Hey, can I just kick this off? Uh, you know, I had a conversation about him in November. Matter of fact, I had a conversation about him in September. I said he was undraftable. I had a conversation in November. I said he's undraftable. Um, you know, he's had a great senior bowl process. Or no, he, I don't think he made senior bowl. He had a great, uh, you know, just off season. I think he played in the NFL PA Bowl. Great process. But, I, I mean, if you want to take him, you know, in round seven, fine, dude. You know, it's great. But you look at – his physical traits and athleticism, don't get me wrong, they're, they're great. You know, they're phenomenal. He can do some great things. He'll flash them every so often. But 
Uh, if, if we're talking about this guy, you know, fourth round, fifth round, I mean, no. You can spend your pick a lot more wise, wisely than that. Uh, I wasn't a huge Logan Thomas fan last year, but Logan Thomas was <laughs> so much farther down the road than Brandon Bridges right now, and Thomas is about to enter his second, essentially, red shirt season, his second season of just sitting around, learning uh, an NFL offense, developing, and starting to do NFL quarterback things. You know, think about it, you know, Thomas was so bad last year that they started a guy who couldn't hit the broad side of a barn in a playoff game over him. So that's that's something to think about. So um, Brandon Bridge is a project quarterback, and if you have the time and the energy and maybe a, a really good start in front of him, you know, go for it. But I, I don't think anyone's going to lose sleep because they don't get this guy. That's exactly okay. yeah, Marshall. He has yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Josh. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Montel, you hit it exactly on the head. The one thing I will say is that if somebody does draft him uh, in those rounds that you said uh, would be unwise, they obviously see something that we don't or they have something developed. Now, I'm going to throw this out there. What about the Eagles? You throw him that type of offense, he's going to be a lot better than having to play in a pro-style offense. That's all I'm saying. Do I think that he should be a guy who should be taken in the fourth round strictly as a passing quarterback? No. But his athleticism translates well. I mean, there's reasons why people compare this kid to Michael Vick in terms of his athleticism. Does he have the speed? No. And it doesn't show on his tape. But in some of the ways that you can use him, he wouldn't be a bad guy. I mean, I wouldn't be upset if I spent a fifth round on him uh, if I knew that I had certain packages in there. Uh, But he's not a guy that I – am going to potentially hand the reins over and be my, you know, prodigal face of my franchise, you know, in a year or two. Uh, You know, like you said with Logan Thomas, I would not give him the keys to my car, and my car is not (laughs) as nice as some other people. Uh, And that says something. If it was a Ferrari, it would be uh, extreme no. Uh, I'm not giving him anything. I'm giving him a clipboard, and that's it. And that's a guy who was drafted in, what, the third or fourth round last year? Uh, So, no. I mean, I completely agree with you there. Uh, He's a developmental quarterback. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a team like New England or maybe even Denver. Even though Denver has Brock Osweiler, uh, why not just draft a guy to get depth? Um, Or even have packages that you can use them in. Uh, Teams nowadays are are finding more and more ways to, to be creative on offense in certain offensive packages. He's going to find a place, but the the thing is, is he has to go to the right offense. And truly, when you look at him right now, the only offense that truly fits his style are two teams, and that's the Seattle Seahawks because they run a lot of gun, and they also run it in terms of the option, read option, things like that, and the Philadelphia Eagles because it's a pass, it's a fast pace. You don't have to go through any reads in the passing game. It's basically one, two, and gun. Uh, and, again, uh, in terms of the running game, it's the exact same as the Seattle Seahawks. Get him on the edge. But, no, uh, if he's anywhere in the fifth-round discussion, uh, I virtually just need to stop doing what I'm doing because, obviously, I did something wrong. Yeah, he seems like more of a developmental guy. I mean, he has the size and um, athletic ability, but then he doesn't quite have the experience. So I just kind of wanted to know – your guys' take on the South Alabama uh, prospect. But then what do you guys think about Nick Marshall? Nick Marshall is a guy who's uh, pretty intriguing. Uh, 
with him, people don't realize that he has college DB experience. He was recruited at Georgia to play defensive back. Unfortunately, they had a stud in an All-American in front of him named Bakari Rambo, who's the starting safety for the Washington Redskins. Uh, that basically might have helped force his hand to transfer to the junior college that he went to so that he could play quarterback. Um, from everything that I've seen, his pro day went well. Uh, the thing is, you know, he did both workouts. He did throw, and he also did some DB uh, drills. And he also, you know, he threw at the combine, which hurt him. I didn't think that this kid should have thrown at the combine because he didn't throw at the senior bowl. Uh, matter of fact, to go back to Montel's faller, the only reason Brian Bennett got invited to the Senior Bowl was because Nick Marshall moved to defense. If Nick Marshall would have played quarterback the entire week, Brian Bennett would have just have been a, a guy on the radar, just another blimp on the radar. But because he had that experience, that's why people are talking about him. That's why we have him as a faller, just because he had that opportunity to be there. But, yeah, but what you, uh, one thing, I'm sorry to interrupt you. If you have any more to say, please continue after I answer this question. But I think it's really interesting that, you know, this Auburn player, that, you know, he could play QB. Like you said, Brian Bennett wouldn't have even been invited if he had chose to go that route. But Nick Marshall says that he's willing to play anywhere, offense, defense, special teams, where, you know, your first couple years, special teams is the way to make it. But where do you, do you think that that's a smart choice on him or whether he was making a mistake not just going QB, but he's willing to say, I'll play anywhere? No. Uh, in terms of PR, that's a good PR move because that makes teams know that the only, reason, the only thing that he's willing to do is be a part of the team and win. Uh, it doesn't matter where he's at contributing. He, all he wants to do is be a part of it and win. Uh, so from a PR standpoint, that's good. As a quarterback – I personally do think that he does have the tools and traits to play in the NFL as a quarterback. Now, it all, you know, just like Brandon Bridge, it all depends on what offense he goes to. He can't go to an offense like Minnesota that's under center, play action, run, run dominated. That would help him, but it's not what he's been accustomed to. He's a read option, spread the ball out type guy. He's played in a spread offense for the last two years. Um, but personally, you know, being able to see him work out at the Senior Bowl and as, as a corner and how well he played, not having played it for you know, almost three seasons, and then go to the combine and do both drills as well and looked well in his cornerback drills, I think that he can transition to be a good nickel corner in the NFL. Uh, like you said, for him, he's going to be a guy who's going to be a special teamser, you know, but... If you've got a guy like him who can get a playbook down, can refine his technique and repolish it, because his technique is obviously there because he was a Division One prospect. Uh, the only thing that has to be there is his technique has to be sharpened. Uh, so if he gets his technique sharpened, there's no reason why I don't think he could be a successful nickel corner. Um, he's not a guy who's going to be a number one or a number two corner. Uh, you're just not going to see that. If that happens, that's awesome, and I hope it does just to prove me wrong. But right now, best best situation for him is to stick on defense because that's where people are projecting him anyway, and he can develop into a good nickel corner. Okay, yeah. One of our listeners, but I just think it's kind of interesting. These guys that you hear about 
one that comes to mind is, you know, Jarek McKinnon, that he played quarterback and then he's switching to running back, but then he also has good hands. I just these dynamic players that it's where do they exactly fit into the NFL, but it takes them a couple of years to develop. So anything else you guys have to add? Because I am ready to move on, but if you're itching to say something, speak now or forever hold your peace, as Taylor Swift would say. Well, well, the one thing, uh, you know, you bring up Jarek McKinnon. The one thing with Jarek McKinnon that, that people loved about him was the fact that, yeah, he was so versatile, but in terms of his tape, it was all offensively. So it all translates. I mean, if you're a quarterback, you, you have a very easy transition to the running back because that means you understand defenses already. You're not saying that Nick Marshall doesn't understand defenses if he's a transfer as a corner, but in Auburn's offense, he wasn't asked to read. I mean, he had Sammy Coates. All he had to do was throw it up top. And I know Montel can, can back me on that one. Uh, when you have a receiver as fast as Sammy Coates, just throw it up to him and let the big fella go get it. Um, so that's why people were so much higher on Drake McKinnon when he was coming out is because his tape, he was an offensive-based player, receiver, quarterback, running back. It's very easy for an offensive guy yeah. to and make a transition. His and his measurables for his position were off the charts as well. You know, going yeah. into it. I mean, I, I know you mm-hmm. think very lowly of them, but just saying that his measurables yep. were pretty impressive. Yes, and and that's why uh, a guy like that, it makes it easy for them to make a transition is because with their measurables, it can show a little bit of athleticism. So uh, yeah, and, 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 and he's with back to uh, uh, Marshall. You know, you know, good for him. You know, he decided to say, hey, NFL football is my dream, and and so he said, you know, corner, quarterback, whatever it's going to take. So I appreciate that, and uh, you know, in terms of uh, velocity, he's right there with any of these quarterbacks. You know, we talked about Bennett, you know, who underthrew some. He's got a strong arm. Uh, his thing was, I think, you know, he was caught up in his DB drills, didn't really get a chance to polish himself as a quarterback. You know, he was a little, I wasn't sure if he was a little, you know, shy and tentative about his drop back, or if he just, you know, didn't get enough uh, training to keep it. Uh, you know, strong and, and, and you know, uh, violent, confident, you know, one, two, three, you know, let it rip. So, uh, but he, he did himself some good trying out the two positions. I think people like uh, his character, and I think he'll be fine at nickel. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really interesting to see that. So that's one guy to keep your eye on, I guess, the bold move on his part. But um, it sounds like, uh, sounds like he has it has it down that you've seen success with multiple guys in the past. But moving on here, Josh Montel, you guys recently released your small school big boards with 50 prospects. So first, kind of going into guys that um, whose stock rising, Montel, we'll start with you first. Uh, Jermaine Barton, he rose 20 spots. Can you tell me the reason for his rise on your small school big board? Uh, Well, I did some reading and some researching, and then I was able to get a hold to a little bit of tape. And, uh, you know, Illinois State uh, went all the way, you know, almost won the FCS title here. So um, great, uh, great offensive line. Uh, Jermaine Barton was the anchor for this line. And uh, collectively, uh, they were dominant for an FCS offensive line, and everyone's got a story. Now, Barton's, a, you know, he's a curious kid. This is a guy who was a 
um, you know, originally from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas High School. That's where he came out of, uh, from a very talent-rich Fort Lauderdale, Florida area. All types of four-star, five-star prospects uh, come out of that area, and he's, uh, you know, he's faced them, especially on, you know, from an offensive lineman standpoint. You know, he's seen some of the better defensive linemen in the area. Uh, some of these guys are playing, you know, uh, power five college ball somewhere. So uh, that's a thing. And then, and then you look at uh, some of the things he did on this tape. Uh, very good run blocker. He he blocked for a mobile quarterback, so that you know comes with his challenges and, and those types of things. And uh, overall, if you look at him, he looks to part of an NFL uh, t- tackle, maybe left tackle, six uh, seven, three hundred ten pounds. Uh, trust me, he's every bit of that. Uh, you know, big physical run blocker who can you know uh, move his feet a little bit, protect the pass. Uh, I think that might be the one thing is uh, you know. A little bit unproven on the pass protection side, but I guess we'll see about that in time. But uh, Jermaine Barton, definitely a riser. Uh, impressive body, impressive skill set. Uh, he played college ball at University of Miami. Uh, only could play the scout team, really, uh, because they were just so deep on the O-line. And so he transferred to ISU, and, and, and um, you can just tell uh, that that's a, that's a great player right there, and that's someone that, you know, should – um, maybe you get his name called later day three. If not, he should be on a priority free agent list of uh, of a good number of teams. Yeah, but you know, massive, massive guy, six seven three oh nine. Um, but you know, he's listed at nine. But how come uh, you didn't really see his potential before? Did you just not see enough tape on him? Because a guy that went from twenty nine to nine, that's a that's a huge jump. So I'm 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 just curious. What was it in your mind that just said, dang, I really had uh, – I knew this guy was good, but he's this good? Yeah, and, and these, these happens all the time. Uh, scouts will make boards, and what they'll do is uh, they'll uh, look at production. Uh, they'll look at uh, the actual guy, his build, and they'll look at the school they play for and how they're used, and then they'll put them on the list according to that. Uh, the more tape you get, uh, the more you'll rise, the more you'll fall. Um, usually when they come across new information, it gets better. Um, for me, it got better. Um, when I first put him on the board at 29, uh, on my 32 play big board, I said, okay, well, the guy's 6'7", 310, but we'll see how 310 this guy is. And then I put on, I think I had like maybe just one one game tape, one or two, and I said, okay, well, you know, I, I can kind of see the light here. And so um, I watched that, saw that, and then uh, – you know, I just put them on the list. And then uh, up to now, I got a chance to really dig deeper. So I, I realized that I transferred out of Miami. I got a couple more games of game tape, and I really got to see, uh, you know, more about this guy's story and, and more about the fact that he, you know, is, you know, legitimately that size. And uh, you just know the level of competition he played against and the fact that he was, he was fairly dominant at ISU. So, uh, there's that too. So you know, it's it's a process, and, and like I said, this happens all the time. Usually, the more information you get on a guy, the more you know you see him move up or down. Yeah, and um, kind of going into that, he transferred out of Miami. What is what is, and then also about you know, kind of learning their backstory. What is the backstory on Barton? Why did he not play at Miami, or what is his backstory? Because now I'm curious. He actually, let me see, I think yeah, as a freshman in Miami, he got to play a little bit, and he got named either Rookie Player of the Month his freshman year. I believe that was an injury. He got plugged in a tackle, did very well, very well. And, uh, you know, the, as a as a team, you know, they told him as a first-year guy, he was great. 
Um, then the next year, you know the way it goes, they bring in a five-star tackle or there's an upperclassman who didn't make it at right tackle, you know, so they move him at left. And, you know, he got bumped a little bit. And, uh, you know, he's playing scout team for the rest of the year, and he just kind of said, I transfer. Because when you go to a school like Miami, uh, you know, Alabama, uh, you uh, everyone's great. Everyone's good. It's a team full of five-star prospects. And you can try to stand out, but inventory, or not inventory, but just depth chart pressure is going to be what pushes you either to transfer or to declare for the draft early. Uh, because uh, when you want to be as good as some of these teams, uh, everyone really has to have the potential to start at any other school. And sometimes it's kind of like, uh, well, I don't want to ride the bench all four years. You know, I'll go somewhere else and show off my talents. And so that's what he did. You know, he went to ISU just, just to get to, to play, you know, and to try to realize his potential. Now, um, he probably wouldn't even be on an FBS or FCS board if he maybe stayed in Miami, was a special teamer. I mean, you really have to get some digging, right? I mean, not a whole lot of game take for these guys that are backup tackles at big schools. It might be better to be a starter at a smaller school in some instances. And you'll see it all the time. There are players, defensive tackles, uh, running backs, transfer, you know, all the time, just for playing time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So he just kind of felt like being a medium-sized fish in a or being a medium-sized fish in a big pond wasn't really worth his time than developing into the massive fish in a little pond almost. Exactly. I mean, if you're, yeah. So, uh, Josh, kind of moving into yours, I know Kyle Emanuel, just with uh, everything that the defensive end out of NDSU did, I know we covered him earlier. So, just so you guys know, he rose 23 spots on Zimmer's, Small school, big board, but we already touched on him. So, Josh, I would like to touch into two because there's no one prospect that rose a ton besides Kyle, but we already uh, covered him. So going into Trey McBride and Michael Pruitt, rose 13 and 11 spots respectively. Um, kind of cover your what really stuck out to you among these players. Well, with these two, uh, I had an opportunity to, to see their tape and actually see a couple of their games live. Uh, you know, of course, the Bison play Southern uh, Southern Illinois, so I had a chance to take, uh, take that game in person this year and actually see McCall Pruitt live. So I already knew what he could what he could do from a from a player's standpoint, and I've seen enough tape on him. And McBride, the same thing. Uh, the, the real reason why they they jumped so high was because of their combine workout. Um, it wasn't necessarily all because of the way they tested. With McCall Pruitt, it helps the fact that he did run a four three or a four five three. Uh, that's pretty impressive for a two hundred and fifty one pound tight end. But I liked his on field drills. Uh, his gauntlet was pretty impressive. He was nice and smooth uh, when he did the blocking drills. He was very efficient. Um, you know, I told uh, I told Montel this when when I had a chance to talk to him. Uh, if I felt like there's one tight end who's basically uh, nipping at the heels of Max Williams it's McCole Pruitt because really after Max Williams, I, I, I truly do believe that it's a toss up. Uh, the, the tight ends really didn't impress that much at the combine. And even Max Williams himself didn't impress, but everybody knows what he can do due to the fact that he has great tape. So I, I really liked him. And, uh, you know, going over and looking at my board, uh, I felt like 15 wasn't a good justification for him uh, in terms of a guy who realistically does have a shot. Um, I truly do believe that if there's a team in the second or third round, they are going to take this kid because the way that he can play is pretty impressive. Uh, if you throw on Southern Illinois tape, 
they used them in a multiple, uh, multitude of fashions. Uh, they used them as an inline blocker, as a wing. They used them as a legitimate tight end lined up on the line of scrimmage. They split them out and ran bubble screens with them for crying out loud. Uh, a, a tight end catching bubble screens, you don't hear that very often. I mean, Julius Thomas doesn't catch a whole lot of bubble screens. Uh, and that was another former FCS player. Um, so this kid's athletic, athletic ability and the fact of the way that Southern Illinois used him is pretty impressive in terms that he was their only legit receiving threat. Um, of course, they had the two great running backs, uh, Ken Malcolm and Malcolm Agnew. Um, with Trey McBride, again, uh, his tape is awesome. Like, he was a guy that I threw on his tape and I enjoyed it the first time. And when I threw it on again and really got into the nitty-gritty about it after his combine performance, uh, I really did like it. Um, this is a guy who runs pretty smooth routes. Uh, he understands. He has a good understanding of defenses and coverages. He knows when and where to sit within a particular coverage or zone. Uh, he knows how to play uh, particular, you know, double teams, whether it be a safety over the top with, uh, you know, a high-low situation or maybe a bracket situation if there's a slot receiver next to him. Uh, this kid's just impressive. Uh, from all accounts that I've heard from people talking, the kid's also a film rat. Uh, he watches an immense amount of film. Uh, it's something that you can't really coach. Uh, you either you have that or you don't. Uh, but the one thing I like about him, you, you think of another Division II guy, uh, or not another Division II guy, but you think of a guy last year who, who came out in the draft, a Division II player, John Brown out of Pittsburgh State. Trey McBride can virtually do the same things that John Brown did for the Arizona Cardinals this year. He can be that legitimate deep threat for you in the slot position. Yep. Everybody yep. knows if you want to kill a defense, particularly if you want to kill cover three, the easiest way to kill a cover three defense is to run the slot up the seam because you, you, there's no way you can cover it uh, because you're either going to have him being trailed by a linebacker or a nickel or you're going to be having the safety play over the top. And at that moment in time, the receiver is going to have fair game on it because he's going to be able to play the ball. That's where the safety is going to have to play the receiver because it's coming on him so fast. Uh, so I really like Trey McBride. Um, in terms of his draft position, I think he's going to be a third or fourth round guy. But don't sleep on this kid because it, the moment he gets the ball in his hands, it will be exciting. Yeah, yeah. So it's exciting to see them. And then, of course, just for uh, you listeners out there, check out Zimmers and Hardy's small school big boards. And, of course, your top three guys are still uh, Ollie Marpet, Jaquisi Tart, and David Johnson, you know, running back, free safety, and offensive guard out of Northern Iowa, Northern Iowa excuse me, Samford and Hobart, respectively. So um, any word on any of those top three players that um, maybe mix one and two and three on your guys' boards, um, but any word on them, or are they kind of been consistent throughout this whole thing that are just big fish in a little pond and they're pretty set for the NFL, um, at least getting there? No, there's no question. Uh, there's no question. Uh, these top three guys are small fishes, or big fishes in a small pond, excuse me. Uh, you look at David Johnson. Um, I've talked about this guy numerous times. Montel probably gets sick of it because he hears it all the time because I can't stop talking about him. Uh, 
<laughs> the dude is ready to play. Um, you look at Terrence West from last season, everybody thought that that kid was a freak as an FCS running back because he ran for 2,500 yards as a senior at Townsend. David Johnson is more deadly. Even though he doesn't have 2,000 yards on his resume, he is more deadly because he can catch the football. He's a pretty darn good pass protector when – the key word there was when they used him because he's their biggest weapon. They didn't keep him in line very often. Uh, he was either out trying to catch the football or they were handing him the football. Um, which, speaking of, his receiving, the dude runs routes. It's not like they put him on a swing or a screen. or a, Yeah, a swing or screen. He's a pretty big guy. He's like That's pretty big for, for running back, too, just. His size, I mean, that probably that probably helps a little bit, you would think, with uh, joining the rest of the guys down the field rather than becoming a little bowling ball and kind of finding the holes and being explosive. I mean, that's kind of my take from looking at the size, too. Well, and the, the, the one thing I like about David Johnson is that when he runs the football, if he has to make a cut, I really like the fact that he lowers his center of gravity. He literally, like, when he hits the hole and has to make a quick cut out of the hole, he's not standing at six foot two or even at a running stance, which would probably be around, you know, five eleven or six foot, depending on how far forward he's going to lean. He lowers his center of gravity and then makes his cut, which helps lower. I mean, it's virtually exactly how it sounds. You lower the center of gravity while you're also lowering the the hit radius that a player in the the target area that a player can hit you. Uh, which makes you a little bit better and gives you a little bit better core and form strength in terms of your balance and your base uh, when you're getting ready to, to run in between the tackles. Uh, so it, it speaks volumes to the type of running back that he is, the fact that he has the flexibility in his hips to sink and, and sink those hips and lower his hips when he makes a cut. Um, that's what makes him as elusive as he is. Um, it's not the fact that he's six foot two and he's just juking you out of his shoes. It's that he's a very smart running back. He has high IQ but he also has very good technique. Yeah, and um, so that's kind of a good take on those top three guys um, just because they've been consistent throughout your guys' boards. But now for our final segment of this podcast, I would like to get into guys that we have featured that, guys that we've featured, usually we feel that there's something special about them, that they have a good shot. So Montel, we'll go to you first. Javante Williams, he's number 21 on Zimmer's small school big board, and he's number 29 on yours. And uh, this defensive end, or he can be an outside linebacker from Johnson C. Smith. What do you see? Uh, what do you see in this kid when you're watching his tape, or what? Uh, what kind of developments have you seen in him? Well, to me, he looks like a very good. Uh, edge player who can, you know, I mean, this guy can flat out ball. You know, I've seen some good speed off the edge from him. He gets off the ball very quickly. And, uh, you know, he's just rangier than I thought. Um, you know, I've been looking through his tape, trying to couple, come up with comps. I, I really can't. You know, he's just a ball player, you know, and he's got uh, good in- instincts for the position. And, you know, like I said, before, he, he made some of those plays that, you know, you don't really expect to see made at that level. And I think that's part of the reason why he got the attention from me, you know, the attention from the Josh and, you know, probably some attention from some other people, uh, you know, who, who watch, uh, who, who've seen his tape. Uh, to me, it's just one of those things of, 
you know, can we get in the trash? Uh, what's what's the pro day going to look like? What are the combine numbers going to be? Uh, I want to see those. Uh, if you look at, uh, you know, where he's on my list, 29, you know, I want to put him higher. But uh, I, I just want to see what he can do uh, testing-wise. And I don't think from there he'll move up. But uh, he looks to me as, as one of those guys who uh, can really make a name for himself. And, and he'll definitely, definitely get a get a camp invite and, and, and get a shot. And I want I want to uh, and branch that off of you, uh, Montel. Uh, everybody talks about Chris Bonner as the quarterback that nobody is talking about. After watching Javante's tape, I truly do believe that this is the one defensive lineman slash edge prospect that nobody is really talking about. Because, like you said, the dude can ball with all caps exclamation points. I mean, there's plays, like you said, there's plays on his tape that he shouldn't make. The fact that he can cross-face a tackle and still make the play on the read option when the quarterback is nine times out of ten, you're, you better be faster than an edge player. You know, and that's a gamble because he was the, the read. And the fact that he went inside and was still able to make the play as a tackle for loss, uh, that's just one of the many examples with him. But the one thing, the one thing that I love about Javante and his tape in general and his game in general is that he is a dynamic pass rusher. Everybody, like, when I say Vic Beasley, Montel, what do you think? Finesse. Yep, quick twitch, finesse. You know, and uh, when I say Leonard Williams as a pass rusher, what do you think? Power. Yep, a little power. He's, He's got a little twitch to him, too, for a big guy. But yeah, majority, he's the easiest person to talk to. You answer all the questions. I love it. But the majority, but the majority of him is power, correct? You oh know, yeah, three hundred pounds. Oh yeah. With, oh, yeah. with Javante, he has both. You know, I, I showed it perfectly on the scouting report that I just completed of him. He can bull rush you, whether it be a running back or an offensive lineman, and he will put you either into the quarterback's lap or either on your ass and then plant the quarterback. That's his power. And what I like about that is that it, he keeps the low center of gravity with it. But with the other thing that I like about it is that he can be the the edge guy that you like. He has the speed to him. He has the fast twitch. Um, like I said, he's dynamic. Uh and his athleticism. Granted, some of it he's going to have to learn. Obviously, he, his technique's going to have to get a little bit stronger. Uh, he he cannot basically just gain off of being athletic. Um, but the one thing that we have to that you have to realize is that it's going off of everything. Um, you know, you just have to continue to watch him. But I really like Javante. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I agree with you, Josh. And, and, and he'll be a guy that I'll keep my eye on and uh, for obvious reasons as we get closer to draft day. But like I said before, I look forward to seeing what this guy does. So did Jamie fall asleep on us? Yeah, yeah, but um, oh, oh. Moving, there she is. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. Moving on to um, another prospect that we have covered. So Javante being one, 
I know that Zach Wagaman, there's a lot of talk going on with him, extremely hardworking player from uh, the Grizz. What are your takes on him, um, especially moving forward out of, you know, we've got to see him at the Combine and watch his tape. And um, he's kind of a guy that's slowly creeped up, and I feel like he's uh, he's deservingly getting a lot of credit. So what are your takes of him as a prospect? Well, I don't, I don't really know what to make of him quite yet. Uh, you know, I looked at his combine numbers. They were pretty okay, you know. Uh, um, his drills were good. Um I, I don't know. I have some questions about his hips, maybe. There's some times when he looks a little stiff, moving out in coverage, doing that type of thing. Uh, I think he's someone maybe you just put on the line, uh, leave him 4-3 defensive end and let him be great from there. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I've got I've got to get a better read on this guy for sure. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing I like about Zach Montel is, you know, obviously number one, he's a Montana guy. You can't go wrong with that. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to be biased about that. But the one thing that I like is that he's a pass rusher. Uh, he's a legitimate pass rusher. And like I talked about Combine, uh, his workout didn't, didn't do him justice. Uh, you know, this is a guy who he walked on to the University of Montana program, so he already had some adversity there. And walking out of Washington Grizzly Stadium as a senior this year, he is their all-time leader in sacks, tackles for loss, and he also had 11 forced fumbles this year. So he's extremely productive. He wore the legacy number at the University of Montana, which is a huge deal. Uh, that means that not only the player before him, who is an NFL player in Jordan Tripp, realized that he had his game, but it was also the fact that he's also very well respected within that program in terms of players and coaches. Uh, you know, I had a chance to talk to their, their defensive coordinator, Coach Ty Gregorick, and I've also had a chance to talk to a couple of the former players, uh, Ryan Featherston, who was another guy who wore the legacy number, Jordan Tripp, Brock Coyle. Uh, they said that in terms of a w- guy with work ethic, you're not going to find a guy who has better work ethic. Uh, a prime story about that that makes me cement my case on how I think this guy's going to make it. Uh, I had a buddy of mine, a really good friend, uh, played at the University of Montana. They showed up for summer workouts during the summer. They had summer workouts. They had to be at the stadium at 6 a.m. to run stadium stairs before they did their workout. He got to the stadium at 5.30, and Zach was already there running at 5.30 in the morning before they even started. Uh, and this is before he was all everything, all pass rusher, you name it. This is a guy who was playing snaps on special teams. Uh, so in terms of his drive and motivation, uh, he's going to succeed. It's, it's undoubtable. Uh, because if you look at him, he just he hasn't failed yet. Um, he's fought all the demons and had the adversity, and he's overcome it. And then, and then, of course, the other thing with that, too, is that the University of Montana is known for putting solid NFL guys in the league. Dan Carpenter, Croy Bierman, Colt Anderson, Mark Mariani. Uh, the list can go on and on and on. Tremaine Johnson, corner out of uh, Montana, who plays for the uh, St. Louis Rams now. Jordan Tripp, Brock Coyle. Um, you know, University of Montana has a huge pipeline to be pumping guys in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, talking to Zach, because I know I got a chance to talk to him for a bit, talking about his mindset, and Montana holds this blue-collar, blue-collar feel to it. So that's one driving thing behind um, 
you know, Zach is the talk now, but also these former players that he's had to work for everything. He came in on partial scholarship. That was the only uh, the only offer he had coming out of high school. So it's really cool to see him develop as a player. But for time's sake, Josh, this one's you because Montel, you haven't really watched tape on this kid. Um, but Zimmer, I know that he's ranked pretty pretty high on his list. Um, number seven on Josh Zimmer's small school big board. So this is a guy that we have featured in Alex Singleton. I know you know who I'm talking about, Josh, but there's not really a lot of talk about him. You know, this is a guy that didn't go to the combine, that, you know, he's looking into his pro day options. But what makes him um, – just tell us a little bit about this prospect. Well, the one thing that I like about Alex is that he's a tackling machine. Uh, dude's been a three-year starter for Montana State University uh, in Bozeman, which is a FCS powerhouse right now. Uh, over the last couple of years, they've really developed and turned around that football program, uh, it seems like. Uh, but the one thing that I like about him is that he has great instincts. Um, he, again, when I, I expect when I go down to March 16th to, to check out his pro day at, my, you know, at Bobcat Stadium, I expect to come away seeing things that are going to translate to his tape. I don't expect him to wow me in the 40. I don't expect him to, to to jump, you know, the skyscraper height or, you know, hit a 12-3 like Byron Jones did. But his on-field drills are going to translate. Uh, it's a guy who has great instincts. He's not the fastest. He might not necessarily be the strongest, but I'll, I'm, I'm willing to bet that he's definitely the smartest. Uh, I've had a chance to talk to Kane Ione, the defensive coordinator, the assistant football coach, and the linebackers coach at Montana State University, and they said that this dude, along with a couple other defensive players, uh, two safeties who are underclassmen, who I'm not even going to mention, and then, of course, uh, three other defensive linemen who are also young guys, uh, they have learned how to develop in game plan and just basically what goes into game prep because of Alex. Uh, granted, that's not anything that you can really measure in terms of football ability, but in terms of a locker room guy, uh, it obviously shows that people like him. But his game speaks for itself. Uh, go out there and watch his tape. Um, very active. He's great in space. Uh, he has a good vision. He's able to get in his drop, see it. He's able to play crossers. I mean, there was a game, again, he played Portland State this year. He basically was lined up in the slot on a state, on a, on a uh, slot receiver and covered him step for step down the seam. Uh, now, that can go both ways. Number one, it could go that Alex played it really, really, really well or it could be that that slot receiver is really, really, really slow. Uh, but I'm going to give Alex the benefit of the doubt just based on his production and his tape. Um, this is a guy who everybody's sleeping on. And, you know, I've had a chance to talk to him personally. You know, I have a good relationship with him. He's, he's good with that. Uh, the one thing that I kind of compare Alex to is the same situation that Brock Coyle was in a year ago. Uh, former University of Montana linebacker, now a linebacker for the Seattle Seahawks. Before his pro day, he was unranked in terms of overall. Mm-hmm. He wasn't ranked as a linebacker, and he didn't even have a draft grade. After he destroyed his combine, literally, or his pro day, literally destroyed his pro day, I don't think he had a better pro day than anybody else in the country who didn't get invited to the combine. This dude was ranked 144th overall, fifth best linebacker, and had a fifth and sixth round grade on him. Granted, he was an undrafted free agent, but he still got in. Alex is in the same position. Uh, if he kills his pro day, 
teams are obviously going to take a second look at him, uh, and that's going to be warranted. Uh, he's a guy who's going to make his job, you know, within the first couple of years being a special teams guy. But, you know, he has the ability to develop into being a linebacker in the NFL, a legit linebacker. Not a linebacker who plays special teams, but a legitimate linebacker. It's just going to take time, and it's going to take a team to fall in love with him. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that take, Josh. You know, he has he has the necessary things, you know, the physical traits and definitely the smarts. But one thing I don't think you can agree with, disagree with me on this is that his smarts outweigh his physical abilities in some cases, but that's why it's just going to take a little bit more development as a player. But um, just... I was actually able to follow him a day working out and to see, you know, him working hard and then also his physical traits. I talked to his linebacker coach, and that's definitely a strong point. So it's going to be really interesting. I think once teams start to take notice of him, all the teams will start to take notice of him because he is a player that has such a a very sharp learning curve that once he starts to – take these NFL traits, it will kind of grow. But right now, I I agree with you that he will be a special teams guy, but has the mindset that he's okay with being a special teams guy. But that's just my take from it. But um, the biggest thing, thing too, is that, like you said, his smarts outweigh his physical ability, which is fine. Two two linebackers that come to mind, and Montel, uh, definitely correct me if I'm wrong, because he, he's a former Bear, so I didn't get a chance to, to tune into him too much. Only got to see him play twice a year. Uh, but Brian Erlacher in Ray Whoa. Lewis. Whoa. Now, Whoa. obviously, no, 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 no. Before you guys start hounding me, those are obviously big names. But in terms of football, they're very close. When Brian Erlacher was coming out, he was a guy that people didn't think was very good. Too slow, stiff-hipped, not super strong, not the greatest athlete. Ray Lewis, same way, uh, too small, too slow, not the strongest. But why did both of them have very long and productive NFL careers? Because they were extremely smart. They had good football instincts. They had a high IQ. They knew literally what the offense was going to do out of particular formations. And with Alex being in that position for three years, that's what helps him right now is the fact that, yeah, he might not be the biggest athlete. He's not going to be a, you know, a workout warrior. He's not going to be a guy who looks like Vic Beasley or Dante Fowler or even Leonard Williams, guys who look like they were sculpted by God himself. But his smarts are what's going to save him. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not saying that he doesn't belong in the NFL because that was definitely not what I was saying at all. But just kind of putting that forward, looking at the adversity he's going to have to battle in the process. But overall, um, you know, we're talking about small school big boards right now. Is there anything else that you guys would like to uh, like to touch on as final words? Montel, we'll get you in first. The final words? I mean, if, if you have any, if you don't, if you – if, you know, you've, you've spoken your piece, that's fine. But 
Well, I'll throw something in there. I'm not going to leave you hanging, Jamie. Don't worry about it. Uh, You know, first off, you know, as always, you know, this is fun. Uh, Me and Josh, you know, we watch a lot of tape and we get to do this. And, you know, the goal here is to inform. Uh, There's a lot of people who just don't understand, uh, you know, get the – they get the idea that, you know, a guy is something when he's really something else, and we just want to provide a little insight. Uh, personally, you know, I just, you know, thanks uh, to both of you for doing this with me. I appreciate it. I think this is what episode four so uh, it's been, you know, pretty good so far. I can't wait to, uh, you know, continue to share with everybody. Uh, you know, as we look forward, uh, draft-wise, uh, you know, we got pro days coming up. Uh, next week's going to be a huge week. Uh, a lot of people have UFC's pro days next week, uh, I think, Towards the no, no early the week after we'll have Shane Ray's pro day down the stretch, so it's going to be a busy March. A lot of people are going to be reading, writing, and and you got to go back to the tape no matter what, guys. That's what that that's what's going to really really count it because people are supposed to nail their pro days. Remember that. So uh, that's important, and you know I'll be uh, headed to to House Hall Saturday and Sunday to do the uh, little coverage on the regional combine. Get a look at some of the guys that. Uh, Hopefully, want to hear their name called sometime later, day three, or become a priority free agent. So, uh, I'm probably going to go to bed right after this, uh, wake up at like six ish, and uh, get on the road. Awesome. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for all your hard work, Montel. It definitely doesn't go unnoticed. And uh, I love picking on you, but I love your work even more. So, just put it out there. <laughs> well, I'm still awake. Don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, give it five more minutes, but we'll be off the call. So you can sleep all you want and snore as loud as you want because we're not going to be listening. But uh, Josh Montel, or Josh, do you have anything else to add? I mean, I don't want to cut you short, but I figure by this point you'd already add anything in if you felt like it needed to be added in. Yeah, there's there's two. Uh, there's, there's two <laughs> real quick ones. Uh, number one, Keep an eye out for Davis Toll, folks. Uh, Montel, uh, we've talked about him a little bit before. Linebacker slash defensive end. I don't know where he's truly going to translate. Guy out of Chattanooga. Absolutely had a fantastic pro day in terms of what everybody wanted to see metrics-wise and then, of course, on field. But he killed his pro day. Combine and pro day workouts were unbelievable. Uh, this dude ran a 4-5-4 40-yard dash with a tweaked hamstring. And then went back and ran it and ran a four uh, four five eight. Uh, that just tells you a little bit about this dude's speed. Uh, the other one is Chris Bonner. Uh, this is a guy I'm I'm starting to take a liking to him. Uh, if you guys checked out my first board, I didn't have a quarterback on there, and if they did, they were damn near at the bottom. Uh, now it's for good reason, and I stick to my claim by having by uh, Brian Bennett at the bottom. Chris Bonner is another story. Uh, this dude can play. Uh, keep an eye out for him. He has his pro day coming up uh, within the next week or so, I believe. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, uh, you know, Montel basically reiterated it. Um, you know, we love doing this and, and informing everybody and even in, uh, taking you to school sometimes, Jamie. It's always fun. Uh, I know it, uh, there's times it gets to the point where Montel wants to block my number because we talk so much during the week because we, as soon as we watch something on film, we got to – get it out otherwise we're going to forget it but uh yeah um i mean really truly it's uh it's a blast uh we're going to love it um i myself montel's going to be on the road and don't think for a second that just because montel's on the road i'm going to be taking a day off uh i'm going to be in the same shoes as montel i will be waking up at 5 30 central time 
to head out to beautiful Montana to take in the University of Montana's Pro Day on Monday, the 9th at 10 a.m. at Washington Grizzly Stadium. So I'm extremely excited to get back to my home state, extremely excited to get into Washington Grizzly Stadium uh, and get a chance to take in some prospects because I am going to say this. Everybody knows about Zach Wagaman, but there's one other guy, and people know, and Montel, you know who I'm talking about. There's one other guy who people are sleeping on, and the dude is exciting. Uh, that's all I'm going to say now. You're going to have to stay tuned uh, to the Draft Central tab uh, when I post my recap of the Pro Day to figure out who I'm talking about. And there you have it. Thank you so much, Josh, and thank you for all your hard work. I wouldn't expect you to take a day off. Safe travels to both of you. And to everybody listening, thank you for, you know, listening to us ramble. And uh, you guys can take me to school anytime you want. And uh, so, yeah, check out our Draft Central page. We have Draft Journeys, kind of a, of a backstory about some of the guys that we are featuring tonight and some of the guys that we're looking forward to. So keep an eye on this Draft Central page. We'll have much more coming all the way up until the draft and beyond. So with that, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Montel. I'm your host, Jamie Council, and you're listening You're listening to NGSC Sports, where we never stop. Have a good night.